Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 24, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, May 22nd are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,671. That's 14671. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,672. That's 14672. This morning, A Vision for You presents Spiritual Surgery, Experience, Strength, and Hope, Living in Steps 10, 11, and 12. The impact, effectiveness, and richness of the 12-step process is, among other things, that it offers infinite layers of depth, meaning and insights that can be excavated and revealed to those who approach the work with a sincere desire to be changed, to be transformed by what they experience. This can only happen when one understands that there are boundless gifts and treasures to be experienced on our 12-step journey when we submit to a series of actions contrary to our natural inclination of self-will. The 12 steps are introduced in Chapter 5 of the Big Book with these words, Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Our path, our path, our path is the 12 steps. They are the heart and the heartbeat of recovery, the freedom and happiness as a result of a spiritual awakening are based on these 12 simple steps. However, the big book does warn us, we are not cured What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Steps 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Describe a personal submission of our will to constant evaluation constant improved conscious contact and consistent thought and action in service of others. The spiritual surgery and the healing of recovery come from daily actions in our lives, day after day, month after month, and year after year as an essential part of the maintenance and growth of our spiritual condition. 
joining us today to share her experience, strength, and hope living in 10, 11, and 12 is Lynn F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. Lynn is dedicated to our 12-step way of life and eager to share her message of recovery to all of us on the line this morning. And it's with great appreciation and pleasure that I welcome Lynn F. Good morning, Lynn. Yay! Oh, is that okay? Good morning, good. Leah. Can you good. hear me? Yes, I do hear you. Welcome and thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Leah. <laughs> thank you, my fellows, and uh, thank you, Higher Power, for that little slice of humor to um, have me giggling instead of my heart pounding. So, thank you, um, everyone, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience with you, the Big Book, and my recovery. Please help me to see the truth. And uh, I'll start. I'm going to, um, I'm Lynn F., recovered in Pennsylvania. And I'm grateful to be here on the line and speaking to you about my experience, strength, and hope in steps 10, 11, and 12. And uh, my path to living this way of life hasn't been straight and narrow. So I will... um, kind of break it down and illuminate uh, what it was like and what happened and and what it's like today. I'll start by qualifying myself. Um, I am and have been a yo-yo dieter, and that's my history. Um, I went through a lifetime of pay and weigh programs, starting at a very young age with my mom. Um, I came out of the gate overweight, not sure really where it started. I have images of overeating when I was young um, and different periods of my childhood where it was pointed out to me. And um, being uh, 55 now, you know the era of uh, what that looked like and dysfunctional family unit that that may have occurred in. And I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time there because it did follow me into adulthood. The habits were well-worn and the personality that went with it um, came right alongside. I, um, I, and I, I carried my weight into my um, 20s, yo-yo dieting, looking for love in all the wrong places, thinking if I just get the job, the guy, the house, the car, whatever, uh, life will be grand. If I just lose the weight, I'll be fine. And then I'll get the guy, the job, the house, the car, whatever. Um, And I relied on that in my life. I really, truly believed that that was um, the golden golden ticket Um, if I just could be thin. Um, I fast forward, I'm going to go right to, um, coming into recovery. I, before I did come into recovery, I did, I did get married. I had children and, um, on the outside, you know, I had all those normal things, the house and the husband and the kids on the inside. I, um, was desperate and dying and I couldn't figure it out anymore and the things that kept the things that occurred for me was that um the the pain wave waned you know I would I would strive to go and then the periods of time that I wouldn't go 
um, continued to increase. So um, after my second child was born, I had intense body pain um, throughout my body. And um, I carried a lot of excess weight. Um, My last known weight was 265 pounds. Um, So when I tell you the story, I'm not really sure what I weighed. And that is, um, I went to the doctor's office and I was tested for many things. And um, they all came back negative. And the doctor very kindly held out um, a piece of paper that said Overeaters Anonymous on it and the name of a nutritionist. And um, I took that and my, my kids and I went home. And that was it. And I, you know, um, a whole year later, I found myself back at the same doctor's office with the same symptoms and the same protocol, the testing, negative results, same paper. And I asked her, what could Overeaters Anonymous do for me that the other programs didn't do? And she said, well, for one thing, you'll have people that will call you and I said well I could call the people in those other meetings and she's like well no they're they're gonna help you and I'm like "Mm, yeah how are they gonna help me I just need to lose weight like I just didn't get it um foggy thinking really paralyzed me at that time and I'm not really sure when I left her office and I found myself at my very first OA meeting in November of 2006 with um a little, my, my, my little guy, my daughter was in school. And the first person that I called, the meeting that I called uh, to find out information, um, two things. Number one, the woman didn't call me right back. And there's nothing like an indignant compulsive eater, you know. Doesn't she know that I'm needing to, I need this program? I can't believe she didn't call me back right away. And um, and then when she called me back, she's telling me to come. And I'm like, you know, looking for the, she's telling me, come if your clothes are dirty. Come if there's wrappers in your car. And I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? And and so my my hook, my, um, you know, my way out now is the kid, right? I have a kid. And I said, oh, well, well, my my son is two and I don't have child care. She's like, oh, great, we have child care. We have free babysitting here. So there we go. I am off to the first OA meeting with my child. And that OA meeting had free babysitting. Thank you, God. Um, they held the door open for me. They ushered me to my, um, to the babysitter. They got me to the meeting. They, um, they were laughing. We were sitting in a circle and people were laughing. And the thing that I noticed was that um, the sides of their hips didn't roll over the chairs like mine did. And I, I couldn't understand what they were talking about, this sugar thing and this abstinence thing. And didn't they know I had just bought all the ingredients to bake holiday treats with my kids? And... Um, I was desperate and I didn't understand why the tissues were on the floor um, until I shared and then I understood and I was home and I was terrified and I picked up my kid and I ran out of that meeting and um, two wonderful things happened. The meeting never closed the door on me when I returned 
and it planted a seed which ruined my compulsive eating. I had never heard people talking about compulsive eating in the way that I had understood compulsive eating in my head. Um, so what happened? I had a spiritual phenomenon after that day. Um, it was the holidays in January. I lost my mom. Two weeks later, I lost my grandmother-in-law. Two weeks later, we got a phone call from a very dear friend of ours who was 52 and had suddenly died of a heart attack. My world was, um, you know, unbelievable at that time. I went to that funeral um, in that very cold winter morning, and I was 265 pounds. I couldn't find shoes to wear in the ice. And um, the person that passed away was a beautiful being and had more friends than one would ever hope for. And the funeral procession was about, I don't know, four miles long. And he was a first responder. And so when I got out of the car um, at the funeral, I'm sorry, at the gravesite, and between the sea of legs, I could see his casket lying over the ground. And um, I had this thought that came in my head that was divine intervention that said to me, he has no more Mondays. Whatever he was working on, whatever he had hoped for his family, for himself, was taken out like that. He has no more Mondays. And that was, that was God. That was not me. Um, I turned to walk back to my car and I fell on the ice as a morbidly obese woman. I was in a sea of first responders who would have done anything to get me off the ice, but my self-will pulled me up and I thrust myself into the car. You would think that would take me right to the next OA meeting, but it did not. Um, it took me another month of avoiding OA. I came in desperate and with my knees bloody, literally and figuratively. And the woman who opened the door that day and helped me get to my, helped me get my toddler to um, childcare became my first sponsor. And my abstinence date was March 25th, 2007. My last known weight was 265 pounds. And today I maintain a weight of approximately 145 pounds on my five foot four frame. I tell you that um, because that's how, that's what I was like. I was desperate and I was dying. Little did I know uh, what they talk about in the doctor's opinion. The unselfishness of profit motive, their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in the alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. I tell you that because I was powerless and hopeless. My first higher power was the meeting. I refused, I don't know why, to go back to the meeting and say I broke my abstinence. The gift that God gave me was knowing I needed the meeting. And I was stuck. So I knew I had no further explanation why I stayed on this path. It was purely God. 
I became abstinent and I worked through the OA literature. I had two sponsors at that time and I may have worked up till about step eight in the OA literature. Life was fine until it wasn't. I had white knuckle abstinence and my body was clenched in anger and rage while I was abstinent. So what happened? Thank you, God. I didn't pick up the food. However, it was only God's grace. It was only God's tremendous gift to me that I did not. On page 52, the bedevilment. These were active in my life. I was having trouble with personal relationships. I raged at my family. I was a prey to misery and depression. I would rage at my family and then get in my car and drive away, not telling my little kids where I was going. I couldn't make a living. I had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy. I tried to manipulate, control, and obsess. I was stuck in my codependent thinking still that if they would just do as I pleased, life would would be great. Somehow God did for me, however, what I could not do. I don't know how I stayed on my food plan at that time and I stayed abstinent, but I knew I was suffering and I knew I needed more. I went to meetings and I called people. The people I called co-signed my bullshit. I called my people because life didn't treat me right. People didn't treat me right. Things were not going my way. Uh, My favorite thing is that my kids wouldn't behave the way I wanted. They wouldn't behave the way my husband wanted. I tried to manipulate the kids and we were all miserable. I was either the savior or the raging lunatic. I lived like that for quite some time before someone came into my home group talking about the big book and that may not seem like a lot, but in a little suburban home, a little suburban home group, it was a big deal to me. And that woman had um, a light in her eyes that I didn't have and that I wanted. Well, the funny thing was God always is humorous to me. And um, that first person that came to our meeting talking about the big book was not available to sponsor. And, um, I was very curious and did a little research, not much. The big book was like on the table and I was like, oh, that's not for me. You know, I didn't know. Uh, Shortly after, um, another woman came talking about the big book and her recovery and she got to work with me. She was a kick-ass sponsor. We went back through the steps. I started um, steps. uh, I did the steps with her quickly. When we talked quickly, she did steps, we did steps six, five, six, seven, and eight together in one day. It was kick ass. She left. She had to move out of the area and she was gone. So there I go, back to the home group, still looking for, you know, someone. That first sponsor is finally available. We start the steps again. We do steps one and two in her backyard one summer day while my kids are playing in her yard. Thank you, God. You know, thank you, God, that this program meets us in our life wherever we are. Um, This is 
so this experience with the sponsor really riddles me. And the reason it riddles me is because I am seeing my, I'm starting to see more of myself. More is being revealed. So we go and um, I would be remiss if I don't tell the story of my step three experience. So my step three experience goes like this. We're sitting in the car at side of our meeting and um, we move to the back parking lot because for anonymity purposes. And she tells me to open up my big book and to read starting on page 60 in the first person. And it goes like this. If you have your big books, please open them to page 60 and read along. The first requirement is that I be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person, I am an actor who wants to run the whole show. I am forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in my own way. If my arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as I wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. And trying to make these arrangements, I may sometimes be quite virtuous. I may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, I may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest, but as with most humans, I am more likely to have varied traits, what usually happens. The show doesn't come off well. I begin to think life doesn't treat me right. I exert myself more. I become, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit me. Admitting I may be someone at fault, I am sure that other people are more to blame. I become indignant, self-pitying. What is the basic trouble? Am I not really a self-seeker when trying to be kind? Am I not a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not my actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Am I not, even on my best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? I am self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. I am like the retired businessman who rolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation, the minister who sighs of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia. If the rest of the world would only behave, the outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up, whatever my protestations are not most of me, am I not concerned with myself, my resentment, and my self-pity. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that, I think, is the root of my trouble. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-thinking, and self-pity, I step on the toes of my fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt me, seemingly without provocation, 
but I invariably find that at some time in the past, I made decisions based on self, which later placed me in a position to be hurt. So my troubles, I think, are basically of my own making. They arise out of myself. And I am an extreme example of self-will run riot, though I usually don't think so. Above everything, I must be rid of the selfishness. I must or it kills me. God makes it possible. And there seems no way of getting entirely rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to that, nor would we like to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing on our own power we had to cut. God's help. This is the how and why of it. I had to put playing God. It didn't work. Next, I decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be my director. He's the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. I am his children. Child, most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which I passed to freedom. And the reason I tell you that and read that to you is because I balked. When my sponsor had me read that and then go on to read the third step, I paused. I did not think I wanted to go through with it. I balked. I stammered. I could not give up the idea that I couldn't control the show anymore. I was the controller and the fixer in all my affairs. And here I am, approximately six years into recovery, white knuckle abstinence faced with this proposition. So I did. Back there in the car, in the back of the parking lot, I took my step three. That's so funny, though. Before you know it, while we're in that car in the back of the parking lot, the red lights come up behind us and the police come to check on why there's a car in the back of the parking lot. My sponsor, I was dumbfounded. I was thinking of a million lies as to why we were there. And none of them seemed to come to be valuable. I couldn't lie. And my sponsor <laughs> leaned out the window and told her we were told the cop we were doing 12-step work. And, uh, you know, after a little, I don't banter, you know, he left us alone. And I think we actually moved the car because it was the neighbors that wanted us out of there. Uh, so moving on, step five and four and five, now being the third time, now being abstinent um, and completely surrendered, I did the, I did the um, steps out of the big book. And when I arrived at that sponsor's home with my fifth step, um, she clearly told me that I did it wrong. I had blamed other people and I had to go back home and, and rework that. So God is in the details, that's for sure. Again, humble, frustrated, willing, uh, not eating, you know? And any of those things could have taken me right to the food. I completed the steps after that, and I lived happy, joyous, and free into the re- in my recovery about uh, five more years. I called in my food, I read, I wrote, I did service. It worked until it didn't. Um, God knows, you know, I still had the problem of blaming others, especially my husband, who I had qualified as needed 12-step recovery. I'm going to jump ahead to the um, 
convention, OA convention in September 2017, that my sponsor and I had parted ways um, as the sponsor-sponsee relationship and remained right, um, remained recovery sisters. And uh, we were at the convention together and I was looking for a new sponsor. And the funny thing is that you know, I call this spiritual surgery and there's change everywhere. There's instruments everywhere. God shows up with his angels wherever I need them. So there we are. There I am among 800 people. How is it that God orchestrates that me, Lynn F. from Pennsylvania, meets the two people at that convention that became instrumental in the next phase of my recovery? I was asking folks for sponsorship and I happened to meet an OA member and she gave me some time to meet um, with her. And, you know, one thing I learned also in this program is discipline. And so when someone tells me to show up at a certain time, I show up at a certain time. Discipline started for me very early on in abstinence when I was told to drink a cup of milk and I didn't drink a cup and a half and I didn't eyeball the milk and I didn't um, debate the cup, you know, I didn't debate the cup. And that discipline taught me how to show up, um, how to be on time for dentist appointments, how to be on, you know, take my car into the mechanic the day I said I'm going to. Um, and so when this member said she would talk with me at a certain time, I, I found her and we talked and she talked to me. She asked me about my recovery and, and suggested I practice 10, 11, and 12. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I need to give them my food and I need to do that. Um, and we met uh, uh, subsequently after that, too, on the phone. So that seed was planted. Um, I met another person in that sea of people that um, spoke to my codependency issues. And that became an instrumental person as well. Those seeds got planted and God is in the details again. Uh, I, I don't, I can't, I can't explain to you how perfectly together my program is knit in, in hindsight, but when I am going through it, the surgery that requires to move the thorough through, the surgery that's required to surrender for me is, in, it, it, it's just, immeasurable. I fight every part of my recovery. And God gives me what I cannot do for myself. So right after the convention, what happens? I get sick. And not like horribly sick, but sick enough that I am out of work for three months. I am capable of speaking to people and I am capable of working my recovery in my recliner, in my couch, with my big book and my phone. So what happens? I get invited to join a 10-step turnaround group. I get to practice doing 10 steps with recovered people. I get to um, hear them, and I get to give them. And believe me, I had a lot of 10 steps laying on my recliner when I was unwell. Um, then what happened? Then I get an 11-step group. I get an 11-step partner from that same connection, from the same woman that I met 
in that sea of people back at the convention. Miracles happen, people. When you work it, when you show up, God meets you no matter what. So where am I today? Today, I have to practice 10, 11, and 12 like my hair is on fire. I am still selfish and self-centered every single day. Step 10 on pages 84, well, I should, I'm sorry, go back. Pages 84 through 88. If you were here at my desk right now, you would see that these pages are the most tattered. They're stained with coffee. My highlights have been highlighted and faded and highlighted again. I have things underlined and starred in pink and black and blue pens. And uh, I'm just amazed that those pages haven't fallen out, fell out of my book yet. Um, so these instruments, part of my surgery, they're worn out. They're faded. But the directions continue to prove invaluable. I listen to those directions in the bottom of page 84, and they're further supported from the AA 12 and 12. And in there it states, it is a spiritual axiom that every time I am disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with us. Something's wrong with me. I must take this step, and when I do, I am not free. I must live in the promise of 10, of step 10. If I am not placed in a position, and I know for me, if I have to take, I have to take those directions, right? If I am not placed in a position of neutrality after those directions, one, asking God to remove my selfish dishonesty, resentment and fear, I discuss them with someone immediately, I make amends quickly if I have harmed anyone, and then I turn my thoughts to someone I can help. Love and tolerance is my code. I've done that work, and I sometimes don't have neutrality. I can do something called, I call it skirt, skirt. Yeah, 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 I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. It's good. I'm going. And then what happens? Bam, it comes back. It comes back with a vengeance. Recently, I was doing a 10-step um, outreach call, and the person taking my 10 steps says, you know, sometimes I have to go back to my step four resentment format and look at column three. How am I disturbed? What are my designs and demands that aren't being met? So this is my new phase of surgery. When my step 10s are like, yeah, yeah, it's good, and then they come back, um, and I know I have more work to do. I have to get out my paper and I have to start writing. And I, I parallel this to surgery. I, I, with all due respect to doctors, I, it, it, it's everything I can to pry this out of me when I have to go here. My handwriting is rigid. My body is rigid. And I will delay. I have a lot of delaying um, strategies that I have to fight against using. Here's what it looks like. So if my demands aren't met, I need some more surgery. I go back to step four and I outline the form. Column one, column two, I say the sick man's prayer. I get out my pencil and paper and I look at my pride. My design and my demands need a should. So I have to let go of the shoulds 
I have to pray with higher power, willing and action. So I look at my pride, what others are thinking of me, my self-esteem, who I think I am, my personal relations, how they behave, my sex relations, how others or I behave in a sexual way, ambition, what I want, what does Lynn want here, my security, what does Lynn need here, my pocketbook, oh, my financial security, my assets, my time, my investment in this relationship. I have to ask God to join me. I can, just talking to you right now, I can feel the anxiety mounting. I give a sentence for each, and then I proceed back to column four, or what it says in the 10th step, where am I selfish, resentful, dishonest, and fearful. I go back to step 10. I decide make amends and give service love and tolerance is my code here's my secret the longer I am the better I am at masking my disturbances I mean the longer I am in recovery you know I can be the happy joyous and free guy so here's an example of one that I've done recently in quarantine that shows you my bullshit I completed the step 10. I was resentful at a member on a Zoom meeting who showed up late, ate dinner in front of the camera, and shared on old stories. So I, um, I asked God to uh, grant me the freedom from this resentment in this person. I discussed it with my 11-step train partner. I had no amends to make because I judged her in my head. And my service there was with my training partner. Yeah, I'm good. Closing the page. I'm done. Done for the night. Going off to bed. I never removed the infection. I never removed the cause and condition. How do I know? Because the next time I'm on the screen with the lady, I am off to the races. And judging her. I'm criticizing her. I am not free. I can't hear the rest of the meeting. I have work to do. I was gliding. Now I can no longer afford to glide. Today I know that my key to knowing better is doing better and trusting God. And what I know on page 85, paragraph 2, it tells me what I really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. The other part of my 10th step is knowing that my disturbance is related to me and my codependency and others not following my demands. I'm going to turn back to my 12 and 12 in step four. This is perfectly illuminated. It says, how frequently we see a frightened human being determined to depend completely upon a stronger person for guidance and protection. The weak one failing to meet life's responsibilities with his own resources never grows up. Disillusionment and helplessness are his lot. In time, all his protectors either flee or die, and he is once more left alone and afraid. I have it wrong. I want others to show up for me in the way I outlined. 
I want members in meetings to show up the way I outline. I want my daughter to show up the way I outline. My son, my husband, whoever. My outlines are what my um, dependency, my disillusionment, my perceived helplessness are what ails me. In this regard, my 10th step work must be redoubled, including step four, column three. So here's what it looks like after the second turn. Go for it. I do my step 10 outline. Here's what my column three looks like. Pride. I think others think they can't wait for Lynn to hit the share button. My self-esteem. Who I think I am. Hey, I am the best recovered person here. My personal relationship. I can't be in a meeting with this person. This person's hurting my recovery. These sex relations weren't affected. My ambition. This is a good one. What I want is for only recovered people to share. What I need, my security. I need recovered messages. Call my pocketbook. My asset of time is invested in this meeting. There is no time for BS. Now I see more of who I am. My thinking is now in front of me in black and white. It's out. It's not swirling around anymore in there. You know, it's not going down the drain with all the other people. My selfishness is who I want people to be. I don't want her to be like this. I'm not accepting her. My lie is that I lie to myself, my dishonesty about people and who they are. It is my own story that I make up and I make them fit my script in my head. And here it is. Here's the truth, folks. The fear. I'm afraid. I won't be well. I won't be recovered. I'm not getting what I need from this person. I'm not okay. I am in self-pity. I have no dependence on God. I complete my inventory. I can now rely on God for my needs of recovery to be met. All of that takes energy and it may, I, I must overcome my defects which get in the way. It's painful and my body is often rigid and tense. And when my body has that reaction, I don't want to do the work. However, release comes. I can feel myself relax when I'm back aligned with God. And how do I know that I'm aligned with God? My eyes are on the horizon. I'm neither above or below. My eyes are right on the horizon. My incision is clean and direct. The surgical incision. Now I have identified who I am, what I'm thinking, and where I can go, and I relax. The instrument of God is doing for me what I can no longer do for myself. On the AA 12 and 12, page 90, it states anger and that occasional luxury of more balanced people could keep us on the emotional jag indefinitely. These emotional dry benders often led straight to the bottle. Other kinds of disturbances, jealousy, envy, self-pity, hurt, pride, did the same thing. Progress, not perfection, is the key to my actions in serenity. You know, I, has, I was living on borrowed time. I um, addressed my, these character defects 
wholeheartedly today because if I don't, I know that I'm not aligned with God. And I know when I'm aligned with God, I um, am joyful. And here's another secret of my spiritual surgery. The pain of staying active in recovery, steps 10, 11, and 12, I do not do it joyfully. I do it because I need to, and then my results are joyful. I uh, recently came in touch with um, Bill Wilson's essay or letter on emotional sobriety. And believe me, I'm not a historian and everything I share is plagiarized to some extent. But here's the paragraph I want to read from that. And it says, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root of it some unhealthy dependence and its constant consequent demand. Let us, with God's help, continually surrender these hobbling demands. Then we can be set free to live and love. We may then be able to gain emotional sobriety. I tell you this, folks, because I ate out of my codependency. When I talk about the little girl that came out of the gate, I didn't know what was wrong with me. When I was married, I didn't know what was wrong. Well, I am married, but before recovery, what I'm saying is, I didn't know that my plans and designs, the exertion that they um, drove in my body, reached a boiling point in which I ate. Before recovery, I have this image that of standing at my kitchen counter when my kids were babies and I was eating a pack of cookies, one after another. And in my mind, I was saying, I'll show him. And I was arguing with my husband who was at work. He wasn't in the room. And my face was covered with crumbs. The kids were not attended. These two things go hand in hand for my recovery. Um, That I have to address them each and every day. The beauty of living in step 11 is that prayer meditation gives me another opportunity for thoughtful analysis of my day. They, that prayer and meditation time has grown instrumentally since the September 2017 convention and meeting those two fellows. My instrument of growth goes back to there. I became, I am part of an 11-step train I participate daily, and here's the beauty. I look forward to my 11th step call. I used to dread it. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong person. You know, I come into everything in recovery, kicking and screaming. I have to allow God to open me up, to surgically remove my defects, to knit me back together in his perfect plans and designs. What's the gift? The gift? is that through that step 11th train, I have met some of my best friends. I have met folks in other fellowships that have helped me. I have met soul sisters and soul soul brothers in recovery. My step 12, I adore 
step 12 and carrying the message and doing service. This year's convention planted a seed from one of the speakers when he said, um, my litmus test of doing service is hearing a fifth step every month. Holy bananas, as someone I love would say. Holy bananas. I hadn't heard a fifth step in forever. It's a great litmus test. Um, but let me tell you, reading the text with sponsees is like something I've never um, experienced before. I did it before. Believe me, I did it before that convention. But um, doing it with the um, my eye on hearing a fifth step every month, it keeps me right in God's eyes. It keeps me aligned with God like nothing else. Like nothing else. My most shameful acts I've committed in my life have become beautiful assets. Someone told me that once. I remember in on a phone outreach call, and I was like, are you kidding me? I, this is never going to be helpful. Well, guess what? It has. Page 83, the step nine promise. We will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. I today can sit with a beautiful newcomer and gratefully say to that person during their step five, yes, me too, and this is what it looked like for me. So as I wrap up, I want to share that my addiction to food is fueled by my addiction to codependency. I have the same husband, daughter, and son I had when I came into these rooms 13 years ago. They have not entered recovery. I have to work my program every day, starting and ending and connecting with my God and my higher power. My higher power shows up through all of the moments and the seconds and the beautiful growth opportunities that are provided each and every day. Some days it is truly surgical. Some days it's all I need, every single instrument and every single piece of recovery that I can pull together to get from morning till evening. Some days it's a walk in the park and I don't get to pick which day is which. I know I can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition I must meet is that I trust in God and clean house. My house cleaning is a surgical experience at times. And Hi, Leah. It's Lynn. I'm back. Wonderful. Absolutely terrific. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know these things happen. It's okay. We yeah. roll with it, right? We roll with it. Okay, so go ahead and take uh, your time as you uh, continue your presentation. Go ahead. Actually, Leah, I wrapped up, so I don't know where I got stopped, but um, I, I'm finished. Okay, dear. beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Lynn, for your profound, uh, impactful presentation this morning. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with all of us and your personal insights on on your spiritual work and growth. It's obvious, uh, your transformation. Thank you very, very much. Lynn's contact information will be given at the conclusion. 
of the recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Lynn by pressing star one to unmute. And uh, give me your first name as well as the first letter of your last name. Lois C. from Minneapolis. Becca R. Okay, Becca R. I'm sorry, I didn't catch the first one from Minneapolis. Lisa N. from Wisconsin. Okay. Elena C. Veronica C. Reva Dana Okay, let me tell you who I have thus far, and you'll let me know who I missed, okay? Um, I have Lois C., Lisa N., Becca A. I might be incorrect about that. Elena C., Leon B., Veronica C., and Areva. Yes. Dana P. Okay, and Dana P., let's stop it there. Thank you, everybody. Please mute yourself. And we're going to start with Lois C. from Minnesota. All right. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for your service. Can you hear me? I hear you well. All right. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you so much for your story. Um, It was a very powerful share. Um, My first question is, could you just share the last maybe one minute of your story um, and just tell me what the conclusion is. And then the second piece was um, throughout your whole story, you keep talking about how you keep moving to the next spiritual plane. And I liken that to spiritual growth. And I'm wondering um, if you can sort of define what kept you moving and what kept you growing. So with that, I'll pass. Mm. Thanks, Lois, for the question. And um, I don't know where I got cut off. So I, I just wrapped up by saying, you know, that I um, I have a food addiction and it's, it's fueled by my codependency and my husband and my daughter and my son are the same folks that I had in my life 13 years ago. And they even entered recovery. And, um, and so what I do know is that some days it's a surgical experience. You know, and some days it is a walk in the park. And to me, I don't get to pick which day is which. And I do know that I can get well no matter what other folks are doing. It tells me that right in the big book. And that the only condition I must meet is that I trust God and clean house. And my house cleaning is a surgical experience, you know, at times. And God is with me through it. And um, I know when I look back, I see how perfectly knit together God has my story of recovery. Um, And while I'm in it, I don't think that it is going my way, but God always has me. And it's super duper clear, you know, in hindsight. So that's how I ended. I'm not sure where I got cut off. Um, And then what moved me on my spiritual plane? Is that how the question went? Um, If I don't answer it well, please restate it. But uh, pain. Pain is what causes me to spiritually grow. And um, the pain most likely comes from my codependent nature and not having things my way or the way I see them. And um, 
And one way of getting through that, you know, is, is action coupled with acceptance. You know, I, I have to, uh, the, the pages in my big book are also very tattered on acceptance and especially on page 420, um, acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today, that I have to couple that acceptance with my part. You know, uh, the plans and designs may be, you know, trying to make a Ferris wheel out of a merry-go-round, right? It's never going to be a Ferris wheel, and it's always going to go around and around. You know, can I accept the fact that I just have to get on the horsey today? Or I can walk by, right? But I, I have to see my part. Um, and, and so God constantly provides those opportunities for me and you all, uh, provide recovery so I can live happy, joyous, and free for another 24. I hope that answered the question. Thank you so much, Lois C., for the question. By the way, today's share ID fourteen thousand six hundred and seventy nine. That's one four six seven nine for today's presentation. And Lisa N, it's your turn to pose a question. Um, this is Lisa N. Thank you, Leah and Lynn, both for your service today. I just wanted to say, Lynn, how, how much I could relate to you with the. Um, may I be heard? Yes. Yep, I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, I just wanted to say I still related with the uh, getting the job, getting the husband, getting the car, getting the ki- having the kids. It was just like, wow, that just sounded so much like me, that whole, it was all about the, the, pl- the way things were supposed to go, <laughs> my script, I guess. And um, I, I just, and, and then also the, um, the eating and having an argument with the husband eating the cookies while you were having an argument with your husband. He wasn't even there. So could relate to that. Um, but the thing that, and, and the codependency thing, I loved you bringing that to mind because I didn't realize that, that codependence. Um, I, I have to look at that a little bit more. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, but what I wanted to know is this 11th step call. What is that? I'm sorry if I missed it and you explained it. Sure. Thanks, Lisa. And, and so in the 11th step, you know, it gives me directions and another review for my day, right? It, it talks about prayer and meditation. And then there's a paragraph. Um, of directions at night. When I retire at night, I constructively review my day. Was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? So there's an inventory there, or type of inventory to complete, or a checklist, which um, for me, I need to complete that every day with God. And um, what I have found and what I've made connection with are some fellows, recovered fellows, that I can read that to. And I can get feedback from them. And they can read that to me, theirs to me as well. Um, my 11th step is done with God. And I have a fellow for a witness. So um, if you want to reach out to me after the meeting, I can certainly share more with you about that. That'd be great. Thank you. I guess I was um, thinking of, I make a 10th step call, but I didn't understand the 11th step. So I appreciate that. I will call you. Thank you. 
Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much, Lisa and Becca A, your turn. Hey, it's Becca R from Kentucky. There we go. Thanks for the compulsive overeater. Uh, Thank you for your presentation. It was really good. A lot of it resonated with me. And I guess my question is, do you feel like you ever slip back in to perfectionism or control um, or panic? And do you think that your 11th or your 10th and 11th step practices kind of help with that? Um, that's something I'm struggling with. So I was just wanting to get your insight. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Becca R. Um, yeah, I do. And that's why I have a daily reprieve based on my spiritual condition. Those are some of my worst character defects. Um, and the, it's up to God when they're removed. So, yes, I suffer from perfectionism. I suffer from the opposite of, you know, piece of shitism. Um, I, they all can really be harmful, especially when I'm talking about how my body gets rigid when they are, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm needing to practice step 10. And, and so it's a daily reprieve. And what I find the, the part that gets easier is that I know I'm not free and I seek the freedom that comes. And so while I, I want to have my eyes on the horizon and I want to be relaxed and resting in God's arms, and if I have work to do, I have to do the work. And so that's doing my step 10 and sharing it with other people. Like I shared, I can skirt through my step 10 there's nothing I love more when I think, oh, I've got this, and I can do it on my phone. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't have to talk to anybody. You know, I am lazy. I am spiritually lazy until I can't be. God's always there for me when I do the work. God's there for me when I don't do the work. I just don't feel my connection. And today, my connection with God is the most valuable thing in my life. And I don't want to turn away from that. I hope that answers your question. Thanks, Becca R. Elena C., your turn. Good morning, everyone. My name is Elena C. from Greenville, South Carolina, our sunny state. It's a beautiful day here, and I'm so glad to hear you. Thank you for your vulnerability, for what you have to share. And I, um, I want to speak a little bit about like when I do a step 10, you know, I, I certainly do step 10, 11, and 12 now every day. And it's clear that without this, I cannot be in good spiritual condition. When I do a step that and my character defects arise um, due to life continue to happen. And also because of my traumas in my background, especially the codependency one. So then I'm, I'm going to make a question for of this. So when do you ever have the experience when you do the step 10, like that your, um, I mean, sometimes I don't get a relief right away. Um, 
Sometimes I do. There is a little bit of relief all the time, but they kind of linger for a while. Um, and that's when I get a little worried. <laughs> Another 10 step about that. But um, can you speak a little bit about that, like in terms of the removal of the character defects after doing mm-hmm. a step? Absolutely. I mean, I can just share my experience, whether it's, you know, um, helpful or, or not, but I, I feel like I have to bring in some more resources when that happens. So, um, you know, first of all, the sooner I surrender to the process, the, the sooner I'm free. You know, that's one thing. So I have a delay button that tells me I can live with this. I'm fine. And that may come out of a traumatic experiences as a kid. I don't know. And I also have um, resistance you know, just like I don't, I don't resistance to completing that, but I do know what you're saying and that I'm not free uh, after I complete it. So that goes back to if I'm not free and those character defects are removed, the thing that helps me is more identifying in. Where am I really seeking? You know, going back to that third column in those areas of myself and how I perceive that they're affected and what's the script running in my head um, helps me. Just like the example I gave of of the lady in the meeting that I was so pissed off, but um, when I saw my part in black and white, it's kind of like another, you know, uh, some more of the air comes out of the balloon. And, you know, certainly certain things are much more easier for me to um, unravel in a step 10 and certain things are much uh, are a little more challenging in step 10. For me today, I don't know which one's going to be which and um, I have to still follow the directions and stay close to God. You know, my trouble comes in when I think I don't need to. That's where my trouble begins. But my litmus test again is, is my eyes, are my eyes on horizon? Am I resting in God's arms? And if not, there's more to do. Thank you, Elena C., for your question. And Leon B., you're up. Good morning. Leon B., gratefully recovered from Simpsonville, South Carolina. First of all, freaking outstanding share. I mean, just really good. I mean, Thank you for it. Um, and this is so spot on because just last night I just spent my Saturday night um, reading Emotional Sobriety by Bill, just praying and trying to get to the core of this very issue. And bear with me as I ask you this question. Cause, um, so someone said on my birthday, which was April 30th, I turned 49, which is also my two-year anniversary, so long I've been asking it back in the program. Um, they said that I may come across rough. Um, in some ways, <clears throat> but they can always see that my heart is pure in in certain matters. I knew exactly what they were talking about. And my question is, you know, I feel like, and thank you for going through putting I in that reading today, because I totally get it, because I am the author of, of Confusion. Um, but my question is, I feel like in certain situations that when things are not, quote, unquote, right, and I know how to fix it, and my delivery obviously is hurting people. Well, this person would not have on my birthday given that speech. 
And I spent my spent Saturday night, even this morning, just praying, asking God, because I'm sick of these same. I don't want the same character defects popping up over and over. And I'm going to go back and listen to this again because you did give a good remedy on on how to deal with the same ten steps. Go back and do a full set over it. Um, but I'm really trying to figure out um, do in these type of situations. Is from your experience or in hearing, hearing what I'm sharing with you. Do I just bite my my tongue? And when life, when life is not going my way and I can see how to fix the problem, is this, like the big book says, is this just some dubious luxury that I don't, I don't get to do that anymore, even if I can obviously see how to fix this? Or is this like a growth thing over time? I only have two years. I got many years to go, and I will be able to, you know, point out something gracefully and not um, overrun people with my selfishness. And, and that's my question. Thanks again. Thanks, Leon. And I, I'm chuckling with you because, you know, if I spot it, I got it, right? And you're speaking to my heart. You're speaking my language. All I know is what I know. And what I can tell you is that if I I had this, um, I had, just like I talked about that spiritual intervention that came at the funeral, I've had a few of those along the way. And I had this spiritual intervention once where I was walking with God and it was, I don't know if it was a dream or meditation when it came up and God put his arm around my shoulder and his hand proceeded to come over my mouth. And we walked shoulder to shoulder that way. So that's what I can offer you. Um, For me, if I practice restraint of pen and tongue, everyone's much better off for it. And what I have learned in doing this practice and talking to people and, you know, I do attend another fellowship for codependency is that I, um, any time I have exertion to say something, it's not the right thing to say. I have to come to all my affairs peacefully. And until I'm neutral with what I'm going to say, I don't say it. That's my practice, you know. The only thing we do perfectly, right, is step one and and then followed by my abstinence. I measure and I weigh and measure my food today, but I don't always get to perfectly restrain my tongue, but I practice it today. So that's what I got. Thank you. Thanks, Leon, for the question. Veronica C., your turn. Hi, Veronica, compulsive overeater. It's Veronica B., like boy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling on me. Uh, and thank you, Liz, for such a wonderful share. Uh, you're really good at articulating yourself. And um, God, there's so many questions, but I'm going to ask. You had mentioned um, when you took the third step with your sponsor in the back alley, you said you balked. And I think you mentioned, because you didn't know if you wanna, if you wanted to give up the control, I think you mentioned, it's all re- I think it's related to your codependency, which I suffer from the exact same uh, defect. Um, how or what, can you explain a little bit how you surrendered to that one 
character defect of like control. Like you said, you balked, and then because you knew this was a problem, but how did you surrender to that eventually? Thank you. So thank you, Veronica, for the question. So the story has a little more to it, and I'll relate that now, and this is what helped me. Uh, My sponsor talked about uh, working for God, and she gave me this illustration of, um, and if I'm on, you know, if I'm, I'm getting it wrong and she's on the line, I'm sorry, but it goes something like this, um, that I was working like in a cubicle in the office, right? And somebody came and said, you know, the boss wants to talk to you. And, and so I get in the elevator with this person and I go up to the, you know, the hundredth floor or whatever. And I'm in this beautiful Park Avenue office now overlooking the whole city, you know, glass everywhere, the finest furnishings. And who swivels around in the great big chair but God? And God says, oh, you know, I need you to work for me. And you're uniquely qualified to do the job that I have for you. And um, all of your experience, all of your stories, the way you are, your personality, the way I knit you together uniquely qualifies you for the job I'm about to give you. And, um, And I'm like... Yeah, baby. Yeah, I'm gonna get an office up here next to you, right? And here I go. And then God says, "Okay, there's a job for you in the mailroom, and it's dirty and smelly, and all the people who are wayward are working down there, and I need you to go down there and and take care of things." I'm like, "What are you freaking talking about? I'm not gonna go to the damn mailroom." Well, you know, it made me laugh. And it made me see that, yeah, I will go where God calls me. And the last part of that analogy is that my favorite Christmas movie of all time is Elf. And the best time Elf has is when he's working in the mailroom with all the people that, um, that are wayward, right? And so I was like, that story, when she shared that with me, is what helped me take my third step and see that, yes, Where God calls me and where he puts me has nothing to do with me. I just have to show up and be willing today. And that's it. Thank you, Veronica B., for your question. Reva, your turn. Star one to unmute. This is Reva G. in Brooklyn. Um... Um, Thank you for your wonderful, wonderful qualification. I intend to listen to it again and to recommend it to others. Uh, Really gives me a step-by-step additional guide to the big book. Very powerful. Um, What has happened to me is that I've done, I mean, I don't even feel like it was only my sweat. I really believe it was God's grace in many, many ways that has given me what I've got um, and I almost feel I was like chosen by God because my children needed to be uh, needed to have a mother um, so um, what what happens to me is that I, I feel as if the defective character has been lifted and and that I'm, if I'm dealing with a person who is pressing my buttons I can pray and get more, more line in the rope, as it were. But then something will happen, go a quarter of an inch too far, 
uh, I just I just don't have the resources anymore, and I and it just snaps, just snaps, and um, I wear out. I come to the end of my rope as literally, and so I wonder if you would have anything that would say that would address that. Mm. Thanks, Reva, and and I think that for me, you know, um, staying aligned with God. Practicing my um, knowing that I've done my thorough step work, knowing that I have my ideals in place of what I want my relationships, uh, what I, how I'm showing up in relation to other people with God, knowing that um, having my list of character defects and their subsequent opposite assets. Um, that's a really powerful piece that needs to be in place. Um, knowing that I've made amends. You know, I, I didn't go from step one to step 10, and I know I didn't really talk and address my steps six through nine. Um, the focus was really on 10, 11, and 12 and how I get there today. But um, each piece of my recovery lends itself to freedom. And if I'm still you know, through the steps and sponsoring and I'm still snapping at people because they're not my way and I'm running out on adrenaline um, and that adrenalizing in my body is falling, is failing me and I'm hitting the wall, then I have, I have some work to do. Um, And I, I don't know where God will have you. I certainly gratefully take the call after um, you know, at another time, I think it's, uh, and go through with you what it looks like for me a little further. Uh, but maybe you want to pray on that and ask God to show you. Um, maybe it's a time to talk to your sponsor. But, um, you know, there's, there's lots to do um, at this point for you and your freedom with God. So um, I could help you, and I'm sure there's lots of others that could help you also. That's all I got. Thank you, Veronica. Um, excuse me, Reva G. Thank you very much. Dana P. Star one to unmute, Dana. Hi. <clears throat> I'm Dana P. I'm in California. I really appreciate uh, your share, Lynn. Uh, it's really great to hear your story. Um, I realize I'm very new to the program. Um, about a week coming to vision, and I realize I know very little. Um, I know that God has the answers for me as long as I listen. And it's through people like you that are sharing. I relate so much to your story. Um, I'll get to my question. I have a varied uh, history with food, um, compulsive eating with uh, bulimia and purging through vomiting, um, exercise addiction. I've never been um, particularly overweight, um, but have had uh, some episodes with the anorexia. So my question to you is I've been told um, by one OA that I need to be um, working with people that have the same um, what 
um, story around food as I do. And when I listen to you speaking about um, the perfectionism and the control issues, and I'm hearing you say that that's sort of the codependency um, part of it. So my question is the um, person that told me that I needed to find someone that does this the similar things with food, um, how you would respond to that. Thanks, Dana. Um, uh-huh. Thank you. And I, I, um, I will tell you from my experience and what it has been told to me that you work the program where you're, where you're killing yourself first. Um, so that's, that's something that's been really important to me. And also, um, it's been my experience that um, folks that understand me have been some of my um, biggest spiritual teachers, while there have been many, many, many amazing spiritual teachers. But there's something about the nuances of our disease that really can be met with God when one finds someone that has that other nuance as well. And I'll just offer you, encourage you to reach out and ask, you know, people that have bulimia or anorexia in their recovery that they reach you or that you're available to them because uh, just like for me, finding a woman, finding a, a babysitting meeting, as simple as that sounds, was the key to my beginning. And folks understood that I needed to be there and they needed to provide child care for that, right? Someone else is going to be able to speak to you about anorexia and what that looks like or bulimia and what that looks like and sounds like in your head and all the ways that you hide your disease more than someone who doesn't have that experience. Not that people that don't have that experience can't help, or sponsor, or be part of your recovery. But being honest for you is going to lay the foundation of your recovery with God. I hope that helps. Thank you, Dana P., for your question. Thank you. Considering the time, uh, let's have two more with questions, please. And then, of course, we'll be off. Yes, Lisa G. Lisa G. Denise F. And Denise. Is there a Lisa G? Yes. Okay, Lisa G and then Denise, please. Thank you. Lisa, go ahead with your question. Star one to unmute Lisa. Yeah, Lisa G. from Massachusetts. Um, Can you hear me? I do. Go right ahead. Oh, okay. I'm new to these meetings, and I'm really looking for a food and a big book step sponsor. Um, I'm just, you know, I've been in OA for a while, and I've I've actually lost a few sponsors. And now I was told to come into this meeting, Mm -hmm. and I really, really like it. But I I do need a food sponsor. Okay, Lisa, this is time for questions related to... Oh, okay. uh, 
Lynn's presentation. Oh, okay. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to A Vision for You. Do you have a question or shall I gather another person? No, I just want to get um, a sponsor. Thank okay. you. Thank okay. you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Denise, go ahead with your question, please. All right. Thank you. This is Denise F., as in Frank, in Vermont. And thank you for your share. And my question is, could you talk a little bit more about, I believe you said spiritual surgery um, that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. Spiritual surgery to me is just my analogy of work, uh, staying related to God and staying moving, uh, and, and the act of moving forward in my recovery and unblocking what's blocking me from God. And the reason I call it surgery is that when I am blocked from God, I'm in a lot of pain. And I'm also in pain taking action to unblock. So I outlined what my action looks like in steps 10, 11, and 12. And when the block is cleared, I you know, I liken it to an incision, you know, like, so I'm in pain, I'm going to have surgery, I make the, you know, the God makes the incision, cleans it all out, and sews it back up again, and I'm free, you know, it heals, and I've not, um, you know, it's just the analogy that I use for doing the work, and some days um, it's easier, and some days it's, it's more painful, so either way, the, uh, the end result is always the same. God and I working together and, and me resting in his loving arms. So that's it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Denise. And thanks to everybody who posed questions. What a wonderful um, way to wrap up. Again, this share ID, 14,679. That's 14679. Thank you so much, Lynn, for your outstanding presentation this morning and taking us underneath the underneath into the operating room to hear about your uh, spiritual work and the surgery that's entailed in the healing process of our 12-step work and relationship with power. So thank you very much for your vulnerability and for sharing your personal insights with all of us. We're going to close from page my pleasure and pleasure. We're going to close from page 164. Of course, you know that it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.